since this is, in fact, the last day of this year, effectively, uh, effectively, do you realize there never will be another 1975? I mean, it's really gone, man. I mean, 1975 in a few hours will be one with 1868. Oh, I don't care what day it is, Ed. Andy's briskly telling me. I'm merely saying, no matter what you say, 1975 is damn near over, friend. And uh, in just a few uh, actual hours, it's gone. Now, are you... Uh, are you, are you, you, know, <laughs> you know the people at this time of year have some very wild cross-currents in their head one thing, uh, the change of year always gives people a vague feeling that their whole life is getting away from them. I mean, you're really blowing it. You're not doing anything with it. You ever have that feeling? On the other hand, there's another feeling. This is an equal myth. That now I'm going to start all over clean with a fresh slate going to be different this coming year. I'm really going to get on a stick. All right. <laughs> really going to, I mean, it's really going to be different, man, I'll tell you. As of January 1st, by noon, I will be a completely transformed individual. I will be taller. I will uh, think deep thoughts. I will be uh, tremendously involved. Oh, I'll be dynamic. And I'll get rid of all those bow ties. <laughs> no, this is this is the, the 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 two conflicting sides to the whole New Year's phenomena, and uh, it uh, it causes great numbers of suicides. You know that the, a tremendous number of marriages break up at or about and around New Year's Day. It's a great number of them. On the other hand, uh, great numbers of future disastrous alliances are made on New Year's Day. <laughs> and, uh, but I, one of the first things I remember, really, as a, as a kid about New Year's, how, do, you, do you remember uh, what was the first actual year that you can remember? You know, I'm, I'm, really, you know? Uh, when, does, when do you get, get, uh, uh, get to the whole idea that Years have names or numbers. You know, that was, must have been a great time. I think that must have been one of the great uh, mileposts in the development of the difference between man and the animal. Must have been a fantastic moment. Can't you see these two guys? These antediluvian, uh, uh, two sloping forehead, early Neanderthal types. They're squatting in the cave. Down in front of them there, out in the darkness, is the antediluvian lake from which they have just recently come. They still have webbed feet. You notice the one on the left still has a vestigial fin running down between his shoulder blades. Their hair hangs down over those sloping foreheads, those simian features squinting little red beady eyes looking out into the darkness. 
howling over the bleak hills. They didn't have trees yet. They weren't invented. The sky was gray. Clouds were two, three thousand years in the future, which is nothing but gray. And the distant barking of predatory animals on the hunt for the early man when suddenly Og, the more thoughtful of the two, and of course that was only comparative, thoughts were also very vestigial in that time, as they still remain with many people. And uh, Og turns to Charlie, and he stares at him for a long period of pregnant time. wind blows over the cave mouth. This uh, sample of uh, Neanderthal wind is being sent to you as a public service of this uh, avenue of electronic communications to remind you of your ancient forebears, to remind you that in spite of the fact that you read New York Magazine and in spite of the fact that you grow geraniums on your sun porch, you are not necessarily a civilized person deep down inside. The way down inside still lurks the antediluvian ancient man with the beady red eyes staring out at a cave mouth over that gray lake with that fluttering waters of ancient tides and the wind, the eternal wind. I think that's what scares people most about sailing. You're never really conscious of the scream of the wind when you live on 6th Avenue all your life. Or Queens, or Floral Park. But deep down inside is that ancient man. And Og turns to Charlie as the wind rises. The wind rises to a crescendo and Og turns to Charlie and he says, now they hadn't invented language yet. But Og, in his inchoate way, was trying to say to Charlie, it feels different. New time. give name to new time. He was the first one to realize that a thing which had not yet been invented had passed a year. They have to have a name for the old one. Has it ever occurred to you that as they dig in the pyramids they actually numbered years in those days? When did they first do it? That must have been one of the great turning cataclysmic points in human history. 
because the bears do not. At no point does a squirrel come out on New Year's Day and stretch and yawn and look up at the sky and say, well, it's going to be different this year. 1975 was a bummer, but wait till 76. It's only man. Only man. As he marches along that endless trail of eternity and time, blowing his horns and dancing his dances, the whole solar system echoes to man's dance. 400 watts of audio booming out. Has it occurred to you that some highly developed civilization on a far-flung planet with electronic detection means that got that antenna all tuned in and what are they getting? Cousin Bruce. Will they be able to understand what our society is about with all these horns blowing in this echo chamber reverberating? Do you mind if I sit in with the boys? Well, bring it up, Tony. Keep it up behind me. Higher, Tony. Bury me in it. as much as boys do? 
I'm just asking a question here, making no statement. Because I never knew a girl that was a Frankenstein freak. And yet I've known almost every male that I ever knew that at one point or another went around doing the same as Frankenstein walk. <laughs> you know, <laughs> me, monster. You know, and, uh, this, this is basically a, a male thing, I suspect. But uh, I could be wrong, you know. I, I, we haven't heard from Gloria Steinem on the issue yet. And uh, it's, uh, this is WOR New York. I mean, you know, you see the connection, don't you, monsters and the whole bit. But uh, WOR New York. Oh, I'll tell you, if you don't think of us as a monster, you don't know what 50,000 watts right in the middle of the dial is like. Do you realize that if I holler loud enough, I can be heard all the way to uh, the far western slopes of Iowa? That's a monster, buddy. And, uh, uh, yes, uh, 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 the merest whisper that I throw into this uh, Sears Roebuck mic we got here, the, the merest whisper can be heard in Nova Scotia. I get daily letters from Nova Scotia. The far Bahamas. In fact, I was on a, a sailing boat here about a month ago, and a guy had a transistor radio, and we picked up WOR as clear as the proverbial thing, about 40 miles off the coast of South America, booming in like a local. That, friends, is a monster. Great invisible cloud of faintly purple gas floating out over the eastern seaboard. Subtle. Over the fences. Past the garages. Just floating out there. That's another kind of monster. <laughs> but uh, speaking of monsters, uh, also male-type kids are fascinated by cavemen. Do you agree with this? As uh, male types, they are. They really are. They, some, there's something about cavemen that get kids. In fact, you know that one of the first uh, a series of stories that I remember reading as a kid, reading stories, was about a caveman. Og, son of fire. Did you ever hear of him? <laughs> yeah, I, I never heard of a girl that read him. But Og, son of fire. Well, the whole point was that why they called him son of fire is he was reputedly the first caveman that invented the idea of bringing a chunk of the fire from the forest out there, which was on fire at all times because of the lightning. He brought it into the cave. And uh, he became this great, fantastic uh, caveman. Og, son of fire. Well, I'll, how you get into that, that bag is very, very, uh, very subtle. Because you are, you know, after all, related to them. I mean, it's not an idle concept. You really are. <laughs> and and uh, there's a fact. Well, as a kid, I had this teacher named Miss Nelson. And always at this time of the year, you know, just around Christmas, or vacation time, uh, we, would, we would all go into buses, and we would be taken into the Chicago Museum of Natural History, better known as the Field Museum. Have you ever heard of it? Well, it's a giant museum. It's fantastic. It covers about seven, eight hundred miles. And uh, it takes you maybe more oh, three, four hundred years just to see one one floor of it. It's a fantastic museum. They have uh, they have uh, 
They have all kinds of stuff there. It's, it's a tremendous museum. It's about twice the size of the museum down here on uh, 81st Street in New York, the Museum of Natural. It's a great uh, museum here, but the Field Museum is something else again. It's huge. Well, Miss Nelson would take all of us, and uh, I think there's not one of us, but what are not the product, ultimately, of the, of the time when we were a little kid. And this has nothing to do with nostalgia. We are all ex-little kids. And part of that ex-little kid world remains forever with you, just like any other part of your past. Your past is always your past. Last week remains with you. The bad stuff that happened. I mean, or the good stuff. It'll always be there, see? So if you went to school, you know, you went to college, it'll always remain with you. Those, those curious fugitive images of uh, 2 o'clock in the morning in the dormitory and uh, the phone down on the ground floor ringing and ringing and ringing. And then you hear somebody in slippers going to answer it. You hear that muffled voice. Oh, yeah. Well, I don't know. And then somebody being woke, awakened and brought down to answer the phone. These are all the fugitive images of dormitory life. But it'll always remain with you. And so does standing in line, getting in a bus with a teacher hurting you. You recall that? Did you ever do it? And Miss Nelson would walk up and down the line and keep us straightened up. And we were about, oh, I'd say eight, nine, something like that. Yeah, with, well, third grade. How old are you in third grade? Eight, nine, roughly? Unless you're unbelievably precocious. <laughs> but average, you're eight or nine, something like that. And Miss Nelson had us in this in this bus, this this one one uh, one truly uh, vivid memory I have of a museum. I've been hung on museums ever since. Now some people hate museums because the museum means an exam. How many times? Did, yeah, you know, it's, it's kind of boring and dull and going there with your uncle, uh, that kind of stuff. But we're waiting in line and we get into the bus. And we drive in. The bus driver takes us into Chicago, and all the kids are, you know, all, all. Uh, it's you know, it's almost vacation. It's like vacation. See, so we're riding in the bus, and Miss Nelson is walking up and down the aisles, quelling riots and fist fights, and guys sticking their head out of the windows and all that kind of stuff. We finally get to the parking lot of the of the Field Museum. It's a fantastic parking lot, and there were a thousand other buses where other kids had been brought by other teachers, other Miss Nelsons. And, uh, and we're marched into the museum. And I don't remember where we went at first. I just remember going down through the basement of the museum. And in the basement, they had these fantastic exhibits, which I can still see in my mind. They had set in the wall, lit, reproductions of man in different ages. I mean you know, people. And they had them in a thing, like, like for example, 1812, right, on the prairie. And they had a, a inset in of the two pioneer types and a pioneer kid inside a cabin of the time, lit like it would be. But real, I mean real. I don't mean uh, Gary Coopersville, but real. 
And and so we're walking around looking at all these things, and Miss Nelson is is giving us uh, her usual. And now, boys and girls, uh, if you'll hurry up now, come on, let's uh, let's not uh, lag behind there. Let's go. Come come on now, let's go, Esther Jane. And uh, she lines us all up and marches us past these things. When all of a sudden we're standing in front of the caveman, which was the first sign of civilization, and all these people are squatting around in there, and they're wearing. Uh, fur, like rough-looking fur, and they terrible-looking people. In fact, they look a little bit like Frank Paswinski and his family. You know, low forehead, beetling eyes, and uh, they're all squatting down. I can remember me and Schwartz and a couple other guys looking in. Wow. And you could see the mouth of the cave. See, it was like you were in the back of the cave, you got it? And, you, and these people are squatting around. There was this cave woman squatting down on a on a on a wolfskin rug, and there were bones all over the floor. I mean, real bones, and you know, and one of them had a bone in his mouth. He was chewing on it, a big chunk of meat hanging off. He's chewing away there, and they had this little fire, pile of sticks in the middle, and uh, smoke drifting up. It was really a great exhibit. And outside, you could see, you could see, looking through the mouth of the cage, you were looking towards the mouth. You could see the ancient world out there. And it was gray and misty. They were squatting in the cave. Just sort of scrunched down. And there was a male, a big male caveman standing over the side. He's, he, was, he, looked, he was kind of bent over and he had this big, big club. He was looking out into, the, into that gray world. Looking real mean and bent over. We stood and looked at this. We drifted on. Well, now, I would say out of the 37 kids in the class, probably 33 of them paid no attention to it. And, you know, it's just the thing you see. Out of the 37, there were probably three who got the message. Now, what is the message? Ain't you getting it? Well, what's he talking about? Hey, throw out that thing, huh? This is not exactly what all in the family. What is the message? Huh? That's what theology is about. No one knows. But there is a message. It's like it floats in the free form strange, twisting cloud above all of us. The past, the present, and the future. You saw old Ebenezer Scrooge. The past and the present and the future. Drifting around them all the time. Your future is drifting around you. You ever look down at a bunch of kids and wonder how many of them are going to be in a couple of years preparing to kill their husband <laughs> mentally <laughs> and vice versa. The past and the present and the future. And Og is scrunched down there in this dark cave. And so what man generally opts to do instead of dealing with those things, he opts to blow horns. 
dance on tabletops. What do you think Beethoven is but a lot of guys blowing horns? And we assign to those horn blowings mystic, mythic meanings. Bum, 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 bum. The striving of men's soul. Or is it we need the obliteration of men's soul? The horns blow and odd dances on the ceiling. And speaking of great horns blowing, dancing on the ceiling, no, we're not through yet. I remember the very first New Year's I recall is my grandmother, for some reason or other, I don't know whether you know anything about this tradition, and I don't even know what ethnic group it belongs to, but we had this grandmother. I mean, you know, every family has one for a while there. And uh, we had this grandmother, and, and uh, our grandmother was the official taker care of the kids, as most grandmothers are. And on New Year's Eve, everybody went out. You know, my mother and father, they went to these things called parties. And, you know, they were gone, forget it. And uh, all the kids, which meant 84 cousins of mine, were dumped off at my grandmother's house. Who she apparently, you know, she does it, I guess. And uh, she was always uh, messing around, giving us cookies and all that kind of stuff. And, and uh, it was going to be the New Year's. She kept saying, it's going to be New Year's. I've meant nothing, you know, to a four-year-old kid. It's a New Year's. Well, you know, it's going to be New Year's. It's going to be a new year. And uh, they Half the kids fall asleep, and the other half wake up, and they mess around. It's going to be New Year's, and suddenly it was New Year's, and she said, Happy New Year's. And you could hear whistles blowing. And she passed around to all of us a plate of pickled herring. That was supposed to be good luck, she said. Now, you know, when you're five, what the hell is good luck? I mean, does a kid of five have any luck? Good or bad, or is he just a vegetable walking around with ears? You know, there is a, they call that the scrambled egg theory. The scrambled egg theory that is all human beings have between their ears, up to the age of 16, a mess of scrambled eggs that slowly begins to solidify. And by their mid-twenties, it begins to make some vestige of sense. That's one theory. The other theory is, is it never solidifies. It remains a mess of scrambled eggs throughout all eternity. I can still see a hog squatting down there looking out to that grayness. You know, uh, I, uh, I, <laughs> I, I, I really think about uh, uh, when you think about cavemen and all, uh, it, uh, I wonder, you know, there's a theory that we're going back to it. You know, it really is uh, uh, a kind of a retrogression theory that, that uh, has recently been prominent in a lot of circles. Now, what is a retrogression theory? Well, you know, when you, uh, when you uh, studied anything about the theory of evolution, Charles Darwin and all this, all that, uh, the, the idea of Darwin, of course, was that... Uh, the creatures evolve, and they evolve as conditions change, and they evolve over long periods of time, and they evolve because of uh, need and so forth. And uh, they, they eventually reach a certain point. Well, 
there is a theory now that carries that further and says that they will also do the reverse. That evolution can work two ways. <laughs> and that not only can you evolve to become, uh, you know, a magnificent monument to the, uh, to the universe, you can also go backwards and wind up, uh, you know, with about as much stature in the universe as a chipmunk. That uh, you start out, you go really big, because other, other creatures have done that. If you go out to the, uh, to the islands, down around uh, old places like Martinique and that, you know what they have back in the woods in Martinique? They have these iguanas. And the iguana is one of the last remaining uh, examples of the great age of the reptiles. When the reptiles were really something else, you know, 60 feet long, 400 feet high. And, uh, I mean, you know, you can't imagine a reptile big enough that he walks down the middle of Times Square. He comes up to the fifth floor window. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, well, they did. <laughs> and, and, and now look, what, look at them now, you know. Here's the iguana. He's about the size of the... You know, he's about the size of your average uh, small uh, dachshund. I mean, it's, it's really going backwards with those guys. And yet uh, there is a belief that, um, that uh, mankind is not yet through evolving. As a matter of fact, has it, uh, has it occurred to you that, uh, that, that almost everybody under the age of uh, 19 is a minimum of 7 feet tall? Have you had that, uh, have you had that feeling? Uh, <laughs> and, and you know this is a worldwide phenomenon and, and a lot of people say well it comes from better diet well that's uh, been exploded the theories have been definitely exploded yes it is not from better diet as a matter of fact it's occurring in the various parts of the world where better diet has not yet arrived and in fact many people are growing to seven feet tall who have lousy diets compared to the diets of people just, uh, say, 25 years ago, where they ate fresh vegetables, you know, and they drank milk and all that kind of stuff. And all of a sudden, the guy growing up, eating nothing but uh, Big Macs, Twinkies, and drinking Pepsi-Cola, suddenly grows to be 7 feet 9 inches tall. <laughs> and so, so there is a theory that evolution is, uh, you know, is beginning to go uh, uh, ape, if I may use such an expression. Uh, evolution is beginning to change rapidly, and uh, and I in fact came across one guy, uh, one guy's theory, who said that by the year 2100, by the year 2100, uh, there will be two races of man. I mean, races in the sense of two different strains will have evolved. One strain will be uh, on, on an average of seven feet two inches tall, and the and the other strain will be three feet four inches tall. <laughs> And uh, you, you know why it's based on that? They they claim that the tall guys tend to marry tall girls. And uh, let's face it, if you're three feet nine inches tall, you're not going to marry a girl at six feet twelve, uh, unless uh, you're really exceptionally uh, got problems. Uh, but uh, actually, uh, the, the the evolution could very well wind up with two great races. Now, anybody who's watched the NBA knows doggone well that those are you know just people like you and me. I mean, that's a separate race. I, I remember one night I was in this hotel, and uh, and I believe it was Atlanta. The Atlanta Hawks, is it? Is that the name of the basketball team? The Atlanta Hawks, in a body, came into the hotel. And it was this great big, there's a huge lobby. And the Atlanta Hawks came through the swinging door, and can you imagine 
a crowd of guys. There were about uh, 15 guys all together. They were all in a little mob. It was wild. They were all in one little group. They came through the swinging, you know, they had these revolving doors, and these are big revolving doors. And as the crowd came through, each one of the guys had to bend over to get through the revolving door. Well, they came into the, into the, into the, <laughs> into the, uh, uh, the, the lobby there, and the people were, you know, just ordinary people were all sitting around in the lobby. They were waiting for elevators and stuff. When this, this uh, other race came in, this fantastic crowd, and they both colors, you know. They were all colors. They were just huge, great big guys. How big do you think Rick Barry is? I mean, you know, you see these guys on television, you don't have any idea how big they are. Uh, in, in real life until you see him close up, you know, really. How big do you think uh, Wilt Chamberlain is? Holy, holy smokes. I mean, uh, how big do you think Jerry West is? I mean, these are supermen. <laughs> I mean, and so, so as they came sweeping in, there was this guy sitting next to me, and, you know, we were just some ordinary type guys, and he says to me, he says, you know, I can't say what it is. I said, what do you mean? He says, I don't know what it is, but I have a feeling something's happening. I said, I don't know what it is, but something's changing drastically. Well, um, everywhere you go in the world, in Japan, in Taiwan, in uh, outer Mongolia. In fact, I was up in, in, in Alaska, in the Eskimos. All of a sudden, within the past 15 years, there's been a crowd of super tall Eskimos. And all the other Eskimos here, for thousands of years, they've been Eskimos, squatting down here by ice floes. And suddenly, all the Eskimos are seven, maybe eight feet tall. And what to do about it? Evolution. I mean, I mean it's really terrible to, to be left behind in the, in, the, in the evolutionary race. I mean, you know... I mean, it must have been really a rotten feeling to uh, to have been a, a, a little, small, scurry, furry animal, and suddenly the Brontosaurus developed, and the Tyrannosaurus Rex developed, and there you are, a chipmunk. Where did you miss the boat? What happened? We eating acorns, and you should have been out eating the alligators. And another year is about to be concluded. Another revolution of the solar system. Now, you know, year goes, goes on and on and on. Every day is a new year. You know that. I mean, the sun is in a different place at all times, and yet at the same place one year later. Now, this gets pretty heavy. I mean, for those of you that are... <laughs> this is W.O.R. New York. Stay tuned for In Conversation.